This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. And uh, today we're going to talk about happiness and how to become happy. And the answer is that, one of the answers, how we relate to other people. It's a very, very important key to happiness is the social framework a person has around them. And uh, someone just asked me how to become really smart. And you know, there's a very uh, beautiful joke. It says, uh, in New York City, there was a policeman. He happened to be an Irish policeman. And he sees a rabbi passing down the street. He says, tell me, he says, Rabbi, he says, how did you, how come Jews are so smart? So Rabbi says, because we eat gefilte fish. <laughs> says, gefilte fish? He says, where can I, where can I buy gefilte fish? He says, go around the corner. There's a corner store right around the corner. You go there and buy gefilte fish. <laughs> it happens to be owned by my cousin. The rabbi says, my cousin's gefilte fish store. Go buy some gefilte fish. So the policeman buys gefilte fish every week. He's having gefilte fish. <laughs> Two months later, he sees the rabbi. He says, Rabbi, he says, it's not right. So why? What happened? He said, your cousin's store is much more expensive than the other stores. I'm going to the other store. He says, you see, it's working already. <laughs> You're getting smart already. <laughs> so what makes Jews smart? The answer is learning. Learning Torah, using the brains. The brains are like a muscle. The more you use it, the stronger it gets. So brains are like a muscle. It's very important to use the brains. But I want to talk about relationships between people. And, uh, yes. I talk about the relationships between people. So the Torah in yesterday's parasha, if you remember the parasha, it's a very, very important section about relationships. Not to take vengeance on people. Right? And it's one of the hardest things to do because naturally we are wired to take vengeance. Someone does something bad to you, you do something bad to them. Natural. Um, it's called lex talionis. Lex talionis, the law of retaliation. Lex talionis. So uh, it's a natural tendency. I'm not talking about things which are damaging to property and things which are damaging to person. In which case, obviously you go to the Beit you go to the law. You don't take the law into your own hands. I'm talking about minor things, minor things. The guy insulted you. So a normal tendency is you call me a name, I'll call you a name. I'll call you a bigger name. You call me this, I'll do this to you. You took my parking spot, I'll take your parking spot. It's a normal case, you know. These are small things between people. So the Torah says don't take vengeance. It's a very, very high... It's a very, very high level not to take vengeance. Not to take vengeance. It's very important not to take vengeance. So how does a person not take vengeance? And the answer is the person going to try and conquer their vengeance inside, conquer the feelings inside. We have to try and extinguish the feelings inside. A person needs an internal fire extinguisher. We all need internal fire extinguishers. Because what happens is sometimes a person gets angry and the anger is inside and he's a person's burning inside. They're on fire inside. And they have to extinguish the fire. How do they extinguish the fire? The fire. Number two, the Torah says, Lotisna achicha bevavecha. Don't hate your brother in your heart. Don't hate your brother in your heart. And it's very, again, it's a very common tendency to hate people inside. Because you know that, so-and-so, I hate him. I hate his guts. Why do you hate him so much? Because he did this to me five years ago, or ten years ago, or twenty years ago, or thirty years ago. Some people like elephants. They remember everything. I don't know if elephants really, I don't know if elephants really remember everything, but that's what they say. They have a memory like an elephant. I guess because the elephant's head is so big. They assume that he has brains and he has a memory, yeah. The whale has the biggest brain. You know, everyone knows that? The whale has the biggest brain of anyone else. The biggest brain. It's a mammal. So the biggest brain of any mammal around. 
Biggest brain is the whale. But you know what it does with the brain? It uses it to transmit voice messages. That's what it does. Most, the majority of the whale's brains to do is sounds. Because they make sounds underwater and the other whales are hearing and they transmit. It's amazing. They, they communicate with each other underwater. It's amazing. Amazing. So, it's like sonar. They have sonar inside their heads. Amazing. They whistle. They whistle, yeah. So they communicate. And they can hear things. And they know what's going on under, underwater. It's like the submarines. They have sonar to hear what's going on around them. So, it's amazing. Anyway, so let's go back. So a person is not allowed to hate their brother in their heart. Why? Because hatred kills the person. Who does it kill? It doesn't kill the person you hate. It kills the person, you, the person who's doing the hating. Why? He can't sleep at night. He gets ulcers. He gets a heart, high, high, high blood pressure. He gets a heart attack. Why? Because he hates. It's emotions that are driving him. The emotions are eating them up. How does a person avoid hatred? So these are questions we have to discuss. And they're, and they're all covered by one fundamental mitzvah. And we all know the story I spoke about yesterday a little bit. We all know the story that says the non-Jew comes to Beit Shammai. He comes to Shammai. He says, Shammai, he says, teach me the whole Torah on one foot. I want to learn the whole Torah, but I don't have time. Don't give me a whole lectures. I don't have time for lectures. Just give me one second. Encapsulate for me what the whole Torah is all about. I want to be Jewish, but I don't have time to fool around. Just tell me what it's all about. And Shammai takes his measuring stick, because he was a builder, and he pushed him away. Get out of here. You're making a mockery. How can I tell you the whole Torah on one foot? It's impossible. You see this book? It's, it's just a piece of the Torah. There's so many books. Look how, many, look how big the Torah is. How can I tell you the whole Torah on one foot? Go away. So the guy left. And he goes to Hillel. He goes to Hillel. He says, Hillel, can you tell me the Torah on one foot? I want to become Jewish. Please tell me the Torah. Encapsulate the Torah for me on one, one foot. And Hillel says, don't do to others well, you don't want others to do to you. The rest is all commentary. So if I want to encapsulate the whole Torah in regarding relationships between people, that's really, there's two parts of the Torah. There's relationships between man and man, and there's relationships between man and God. Two parts of the Torah. So I encapsulate the whole Torah regarding man and man. It's don't do to others what you don't want others to do to you. Now, you know what? The truth is the Torah doesn't say that. But he's encapsulating in a short form for someone who's just a beginner. How do you, as a beginner, start off? And the answer is you start off by being careful not to do to others what you don't want others to do to you. So in other words, every time I, I treat someone, do I want, do I, would, like, would I like someone to smile at me or would I like someone to frown at me? I've got to think before I, before I deal with someone. I'd like someone to smile at me. So smile at the other person. You want someone to talk to you nicely? So talk to them nicely. You don't want them to shout at you? Don't shout at them. You don't want someone to get angry at you? Don't get angry with them. You want someone to be patient with you? Be patient with them. Don't do to them what you don't want others to do to you. That's what Hillel is telling you. That's the basis of human behavior according to the Torah. That is, encapsulates all the behaviors between man and man in the Torah. But how does that encapsulate man and God? How can that encapsulate? How can that small saying also encapsulate between man and, man and God? And that brings us to the mitzvah where Hillel is getting it from. Where is Hillel getting this concept of don't do to others or you don't want others to do to you? And the answer is, we just read it yesterday, Ve'ahavta l'reacha kamocha. Ve'ahavta l'reacha kamocha. Ani Hashem. You love your fellow person as yourself. I am Hashem. I am the Lord your God. Which that brings us to the man and God aspect. In other words, Hashem says, I am the creator of the world. Right? 
If I create the world, I create all of you. All of you are relatives. You're all related. Why? Because I'm your father, and you're all children. You're my children. If you are my children, then you're all relatives. We don't really realize it. We don't really think we're related, right? But somehow we do. Some, something inside of us tells us that you are related to so-and-so. We're all related somehow. So therefore, now we can understand the man and God aspect as well. We're all related. Why? Because we have the same Father in Heaven. We have the same Creator. The Creator creates all of us. And we're all related. It's an amazing concept. And therefore, now, we're not just, br- we're not just strangers around ourselves. We are now related. We're brothers and sisters. All of us are brothers and sisters. Amazing concept. If we're all brothers and sisters, then remember how we're brothers and sisters. We're brothers and sisters because we have the same Creator. We're remembering God as well. How can I love my friend? Because he's not my friend, he's my brother. He's not my brother, he's my sister. Who? I have to love my brothers and sisters. But how do I remember that my brothers and sisters? Because I can remember now, Hashem created all of us. So if Hashem created all of us, I have to love my brothers and sisters. And now I remember, I'm doing two misfortunes now. Why? I'm doing the man and God aspect. Because I believe that God created all of us. I'm doing the man and man aspect. Because I'm, I'm treating each other nicely because God created all of us. We're all brothers and sisters. So it's amazing. You have two, you have both, both sections. In this mitzvah, you have both sections. You have the man and God aspect. You have the man and man aspect. Amazing. It's amazing. So what does this mitzvah entail? What is this mitzvah of loving your friend as yourself? So here the Rambam, in the laws of character development, which is what I'd say... Every Jew must know these laws backwards because the laws are character developments. Now, who knows that Judaism talks about character development? No one, no one knows about it. But it's here in the Rambam. He has a whole section, which today you can, you can download for free online. It's amazing. You can do it today. It's amazing because you download it for free. There's a, there's a website called Machon Mamre. The Machon of Mamre. Mamre was the friend of Abraham Abinu. And over there he has English, Hebrew, everything you want, any language. I don't know how many languages you have over there. You can download over there. Look, look over there. Rambam, the laws of character traits. And you'll find, you'll download, and it's chapter 6, halacha number 3. And here he tells us, Mitzvah al kol adam lehovet kol echad v'echad misrael. It's a mitzvah in every single person to love his fellow Jew like his body, like himself, like his own body. Which is very hard. How do you do that? Shneemaz, it says, You love your friend as yourself. Now, yesterday we talked about two kinds of friends. There are two words in Hebrew for friends. Number one is the word chaver. Chaver, what's the word chaver? What is the root of the word chaver? Chibur. Chibur means connection. Connection. You're connected. Some people you're connected to. Why? Because you have the same interests. You look alike. You have the same friendships. You have the same... uh, uh, Keep going. Same ideals, same purposes. Uh, so your friends, you're naturally uh, affiliated. You're naturally associated. So that's a chaver. That's not a rea. Over here it says, What is a rea? What is a friend? So a friend is someone you have natural inclination to be close to. The Torah doesn't say that. The Torah says, love your friend you're not naturally associated with. You're not naturally connected to. A rea is someone you're not naturally connected to. That's the one you have to love. And that's why we call under the chuppah, we say, Re'im Ahovim. Beloved Re'im. Re'im are people who naturally are not affiliated. Why? Because we know men are from Mars and women are from Venus. Two different beings. We, we, we think differently completely. My wife always tells me, she says, you'll never understand. <laughs> Thank you. I'll never understand. You're right. I'll never be able to think like you. It's true. Men think differently. Women think differently. She won't understand the way I think. You won't understand. And you have to accept it. You have to move on. That's all. You have to discuss things and try and come to some conclusion. But 
He'll never understand. Okay. Can I tell you? I'll never understand. Can I tell you? So that's the way it works. I can't understand. I can't understand. But we have to get along. Not only have to get along, you have to build relationships. Why? Because you have to realize that you're both created by the same Father. And therefore we're all related. And therefore, even though we have things which are not in common, we have more things in common than we have not in common. And this applies not just to spouses, this also applies to humanity. We're all related. All of us are related. Why? We have the same Creator. That's a very, very humbling and very connecting experience. Very connecting experience. And therefore he says, how does a person, which, what is it, what, how do you apply this? How do you apply loving your friend as yourself? Rabbam tells us, Sarich You have to talk in praise of someone. You want people to praise you? Praise that person. You have to worry about his money. In other words, you see someone's money going, he lost something. Return it to him. Give him back to him. You see his headlights in the good old days when the headlights were not automatic. You see the head guy's headlights are on. He left his headlights on. You go tell him, your headlights are on. Your battery is going to be drained. You're going to have to uh, recharge your battery. So anything which is loss of money, you have to tell the person. You have to warn him. You have to give him. Why? Because you have to worry about his money like your money. Rotsebe a person is going to worry about his honor like your honor. So same thing. You have to worry about his honor. Give him honor. And then he continues with something really dramatic. A person who has honor through someone else's disgrace has no portion in the world to come. Scary. He connects that to, if you love your friend, you're not going to enjoy his disgrace. So sometimes we see someone say, say you say, walking down the street, you see a guy fell in the mud. And the guy's wallowing, he's all black and covered with mud, and you're laughing. (laughs) And that is enjoying someone else's disgrace. And it's a terrible thing, you see. A person shouldn't enjoy someone else's disgrace. A person should turn away. Sometimes we see someone, he sneezes and everything's all over the place. Turn away, don't look. Why? Because by looking and, 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 and enjoying it, in a sense, it's, it's enjoying someone else's disgrace. And a person shouldn't do that. We shouldn't enjoy other people's disgrace. That's a very important idea, but that's part of it. After Rechabokha is not enjoying someone else's disgrace. Or sometimes you read the newspapers... And you see this guy is now in jail, or whatever it is, he did something terrible, and you enjoy it. You say, wow, isn't good? Look, look at me, look at him. Look at this guy. I'm enjoying it. Why? Because it shows that I'm greater than this person. Listen, you've got to say, poor fellow, I sympathize, and I sympathize for the victims as well. It's not something great he did, but I'm not enjoying it. There's nothing to enjoy when someone else puts in jail. It's not, it's not something you enjoy. It's something you feel sorry for. You feel sorry for both parties. So... It's a very important idea, this idea of after Rechabokha. Why? Because we talked about last week, I think we talked about the, the idea of a good heart. Right? We talked about last week. That one of the students, Rabbi Yochan ben Zakkai, remembers the five students. Who remembers the five students, Rabbi Yochan ben Zakkai? Who remembers? Rabbi Eliezer. You're getting confused with Eliyahu Navi. Eliyahu Navi, that's students of Eliyahu Navi. That was yesterday. Yes. Yesterday we did the four students of Eliyahu Navi. We said Yona, Micha, Ovadia, and Elisha. Very good. So four students, that was Eliyahu Navi's four students. But here we're talking about the five students of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, who was the chief rabbi when the temple was destroyed. Rabbi Eliezer ben Hurkudus. Rabbi Laza ben Arach. No. Rabbi Akiva was the next generation down. So Rabbi Eliezer ben Hurkudus. Rabbi Laza ben Arach. Rabbi Yoshua. Rabbi Yossi. And one more. Who's the other one? Okay. Well, that's kind of, we'll come back. No, no. No. Huh? Rivka's not here, right. No, Rivka would have known. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, that's, uh, those are the five students of Rabbi, uh, five students of Rabbi Yochan ben Zakkai. And uh, 
these five students, it says he would he would count. Oh, I got to number number five. Rabbi Shua ben Rabbi Shua, Rabbi Shua ben Hanania, and he praised each one. He said, Rabbi Shua ben Hanania. Remember we talked about it. He's famous. Why? Because he praised his mother. Ashrei Yulato. Remember that? Praised his mother. His mother. Thank you know. Blessed is the woman who gave birth to Rabbi Shua ben Hanania, because his mother would bring his carriage to the Beit Midrash when he was a kid. But anyway, so Rabbi Lazar ben Arach was his greatest student that time. He called him a Mayan Hamid Gaber. He called him a stream that gets stronger. The stream normally just carries water that comes into it. But this stream was able to add water. Now as you teach him something, he'll be able to learn five other things from the th- thing you taught him. That's Rabbi Lazar ben Arach. And Rabbi Lazar ben Arach, he says, what is the best character trait of a person? He said, a good heart. So what is a good heart? So here the Rambam explains what is a good heart. A person who loves others. And that's Ve'afta Rechamocha. A person who fulfills this mitzvah, Ve'afta Rechamocha, is always thinking good things about other people, always trying to help other people, always trying to have a guy downstairs. He's a very interesting guy. Why? Because if you look around, he's trying to figure out what do you want, what do you need. Before you know it, he gives you a napkin. Yesterday happened to me, I was sitting over the table, I'm looking around, he hands me a napkin. Hey, just read my thoughts. Because he's so sensitive to what other people need. Amazing. To get to the level where you want to help someone, you, you get to the point where you're sensitive to their needs, to the point where the guy doesn't even have to ask. And that's a mother with a child. Some kids have to scream for two hours to the mother get attention. Some kids barely have to murmur, and the mother's already over there. So I know what you want. I'm going to change your diaper. I'm going to give you food. I'm going to burp you. Don't worry about anything. <laughs> it's a totally different relationship. It's after the and that's why we've been on a higher spiritual level than men. Why? Because they're so used to that chesed, to be attuned to someone else's needs. That's, that's really a very high level of living. That's the pinnacle of chesed. And where do we learn this concept of chesed? Where is the source of the Torah for chesed? The source of mitzvah. You're right. Abraham is a role model. But where does it say to do chesed? It doesn't say. Where does it say there's a mitzvah to do kindness? It doesn't. It says the mitzvah gives staka. That's financial. Where's the actual mitzvah of Hesed? So there's another mitzvah of helping your friend loading up his donkey and unloading his donkey. Remember that? That's acts of kindness. But where does it say general rules of acts of kindness? It doesn't say. It doesn't say there's no mitzvah in the Torah of explicit mitzvah of going to visit the sick. There's no explicit mitzvah of going to bury someone. There's no explicit mitzvah of going to visit the, the house of mourning. Where is this heading? And the answer the Rambam says is we have to also considered um, that kind of thing when Hashem clothed Adam and Chav. Yes, but it's not a mitzvah. It's a role model. Yeah, that's... Hashem, it says the Torah starts off with an act of kindness and ends off with an act of kindness. God started off the act of kindness by clothing Adam and Eve when they were naked. Mm-hmm. And he ends off by burying Moses. Moshe Rabbein was buried by Hashem. He went up the mountain and Hashem buries him. No one's there. So it starts off, that's what the Torah is all about, kindness. That's what it is. It's called Torah Chesed. And that's, uh, Yislam HaMelech says in Mishlei, praises the woman. We say this every Friday night. Torah Chesed Aleshona. A Torah of kindness is on her mouth. A woman who just talks kindness. Acts of kindness. She's talking kindness. Her, her speech is, is a kindness. Yeah. yeah. It's from Mishlei. Yeah. It's from the book of Proverbs. Yislam HaMelech says, the big question is, who is he talking about? Who was this Eshet Chayil? Some people say it was his mother. Some people say he was talking about his great-grandmother, Ruth. <coughs> and some people say he was talking about Moshe Rabbeinu. That's the Midrash. The Midrash says, Eshet Chayil. Who's Eshet Chayil? He was God's Eshet Chayil. In a sense, in a metaphoric sense. The helper of God. 
he was Torah Chesed. Moshe Rabbeinu was Torah Chesed. The Torah, the Torah was the Torah Chesed. All he spoke about the Torah. The way he spoke the Torah was a act of kindness. I think I heard the story. One of the Hasidic rabbis. It says uh, when his father passed away. His father used to be the Balkore. Used to be the Torah. And when his father passed away, all of a sudden he hit. It hit him the curses of Pasha Bechukotai. He says, when his father used to read the Torah, it didn't appear like curses. It was so said in such a nice way. Acts of kindness. It was like a doctor treating a patient. But when his father passed away and the other Balkorah took over, he said he felt the curses in the Torah. So the way it's how you say it, who says it. A person can say even nasty things in a very nice way. Um, um, you know, there's, there's two ways of firing someone. <laughs> it can be nasty or it can be nice. Say, listen, I'll help you get another job. You know, we're cutting down over here. There's very nice ways of doing it. And sometimes there's, your person can be classy or a person can be rough. So be classy. Do things in a nice way. Do things with a tart chesed. Do things in a nice voice. You know, I, was, I couldn't believe it. I'm, I'm, I'm teaching in a yeshiva. Can you imagine? One day I walk in, I see the teacher crying. Why is the teacher crying? So the supervisor was very harsh with her. So I said, no, we're in a yeshiva. This is the way we treat people. This is how we have to treat. This, this is the role model we're teaching our children. Mm-hmm. That the teacher has to cry because the supervisor says you're allowed to make her cry to teach her a lesson. I don't think so. Where did she get that from? My boss says, yeah, you're allowed to. Get it from. It's not, this is not Torah. Well, that's not the way we teach people. We don't make people cry, afflict them. That's the total opposite. That's the opposite of what we're trying to do. And that's a very important idea. The idea is Torah Chesed. You don't want someone to do this to you. That's what Hillel is saying, the lower level, don't do it to others. You want someone to give you honor, you teach other people honorably. So it's very, very critical how we treat other people. And you know what? Because if you treat people well, you'll feel good about yourself. If you don't treat people well, you're not going to feel good about yourself. So it's a very important key to feeling happy. That's why this is a topic, happiness. How does a person feel happy? If you treat other people with kindness. And you treat other people nicely. And you say things in a nice way. Then people, you're going to be happy as well. Because you're not going to have guilty conscience all the time. Make that one cry, make this one cry. What kind of person am I? I'm not a happy person. I'm not making people happy. So a happy person will make other people happy. And by being other, seeing other people happy, they'll feel happy. Sometimes you have to have discipline. What can I tell you? Sometimes discipline is discipline. But the intention should not be to cause pain. The intention should be to fix, not to hurt. To fix and not to hurt. Like the surgeon, his intention is to fix and not to hurt. So anyway, so that's the Rambam. It's very, very uh, extreme on, the, on this mitzvah of Yaftal Rechabucha. There's a mitzvah to love every fellow Jew again and do positive things. Speak good about them. Worry about their money. Just like you worry about your, yourself completely. Completely, exactly the same way you love yourself, you have to love someone else. Now we come to the Ramban, Nachmanides. So there's Rambam, Raboshe ben Maimon. was born in 1135. He lived 65 years. He died around 1190. And straight after he died, three years later, another, another Ramban is born. <laughs> Raboshe ben Nachman. He was also born in Spain, but he stayed in Spain till he was expelled when he was 90-something years old by the king because he was, he, he was good at a disputation with the priest and they threw him out of Spain. And he moved to Jerusalem Thank God for that, because he built the synagogue that I prayed in a few times. The Sebet Knesset Ramban in the old city. If you go there, you can see the shtibel. It's like a shtibel. It's a minion after minion after minion. Minion factory. It's a minion factory. So he has tremendous merit. So this is what he says. I'm just quoting what he says. And uh, this is a beautiful English translation of the Ramban. Uh, Rabbi Chevelle 
Um, and it's, you see how big it is. It's five volumes. Uh, the blue one up there. Five volumes over here. The Ramban says, You should love your friend as yourself. Look what he says. This is an expression by way of an overstatement. He's saying the Torah is exaggerating. Have you ever heard such a thing? The Torah is exaggerating. Why, he says, a human heart is not able to love one's neighbor as oneself. It's impossible. A human being cannot love someone else as yourself. Maybe you can love your child as yourself. I've seen women love their child more than themselves. They're willing to sacrifice everything they have for the kid. But it's not normal normally. It's not normal to tell them about your friend, your neighbor. How can you, how can you love them more than yourself? I'm not related to them. So the Ramban says this is an overstatement. The Torah is exaggerated a little bit to just tell us how important this is. It's trying to teach us a lesson. Hashem considers it so important, he's going to exaggerate and say, you have to love your friend as yourself. And he asked a question. Rabbi Akiva, in the Talmud, obviously we all know, everyone knows the song. Amar Rabbi Akiva, we have to rech kamocha, Torah. Rabbi Akiva is one who reinforced what the Torah says, love your friend as yourself. And that's why his students were in the Omer period. His students, 24,000 students he had, it says, died during this time. Why? Because they did not give enough honor to each other. They did not fulfill this mitzvah, which involves giving people honor. Amazing, huh? When you see someone and you give them honor, how are you today? How are you feeling? How's everything? You're fulfilling the mitzvah. So they didn't give each other honor. What does that mean? On their own levels, on their high level, they should have given each other honor. Because they're dealing with people who know, learn Torah. Each one learns Torah. They're all learning Torah. You have to treat them in a much better way than you treat other people. They weren't careful with that. Whatever that means, it's so hard to understand. What do they do wrong? What it doesn't say. So they didn't give enough honor to each other. They didn't treat each other with honor. That's the Hebrew. They didn't treat each other with honor. What does that mean? It doesn't say, it doesn't expand. But Rabbi Kiba is the one who said, love your, love your neighbor, love your friend as yourself. He's the one who exaggerated. He says, this is the general rule of the Torah. This is the major rule of the Torah. And his son-in-law argued with him. <laughs> his son-in-law was Ben Azai. Ben Azai was his son-in-law. And Ben Azai says, no, it's not the general rule of the Torah. We have a different general rule of the Torah. Ele toldot ha'adam. These are the descendants of Adam, is the general rule of the Torah. What's he arguing about? So Ben Azai is going back and saying, you know what, that if you really want to get close to this general rule of Vatarakamoh, you have to come back to the general rule that we are all descendants from one person. We're all relatives. That's more important to realize. If we are all relatives, now you can come to the next level, Rabbi Akiva, of your statement. But first you have to go back to Ele Toldot Adam. These are generations of Adam. Yes. Um, was that, did he say that this was after his student died? I doubt it, because Ben Azai argued with him, so Ben Azai was one of his students. Ben Azai was his son-in-law and his student. So, uh, How is it possible if this was his focus, that his students... Just because, because he exaggerated, because he t- talked about it all the time, and they didn't do it. If someone, it's, a, it's interesting, if, if it's not br- drawn to someone's attention, they're not liable. They're more shogay. But the fact that was his emphasis over over time, over and over again, he's repeating to them. There's a general rule. And obviously he's giving them Musa and they didn't listen. He's giving them Musa, he's telling them. Guys, don't forget what we're doing over here. We're learning Torah. What for? The major we have major thing is we have to Don't forget, he's giving them Musa all the time and they didn't listen. So that's the trouble. Sometimes I uh, shouldn't repeat it over and over again. <laughs> 
But when he was, was he also showing as well as teaching? Because sometimes we're just hundred percent. He was showing and they teaching. Still didn't internalize it. It's very hard when you have twenty-four thousand students mm-hmm. to you know, and in those days, no microphone, and to talk to each one, have a relationship with each one. It's very hard. So I don't know how you know how well developed the relationship was. Twenty-four thousand students. That's why it's not good to go to a too big a yeshiva because the mashkiach can't deal with everyone. You know, there's, there's a spiritual. Uh, he's the mashkiach ruchani. He looks after people's spiritual welfare, but he's so thin. That's why same thing with the big synagogues. The rabbi has uh, six hundred members. How's he going to deal with everyone? It's like hard to have a relationship, and therefore, it's better to be small sometimes. That's where there's a relationship. You can talk to the person. You get. Yeah, you're more closer to the role model as of being further away from the role model. So eventually what happens is 24,000 students die. He ends up with five students. And from those five students, we have the whole Torah today. Amazing. It's not the quantity, it's the quality. It's not quantity. Every, nothing in Judaism is quantity. We're the smallest of all the nations. No one should ever have heard of Jews today. No one should ever hear of us. We shouldn't even be on the map. Madagascar has more people than, than Israel. Who's heard of Madagascar? Anyone know where Madagascar is? Of course. Where is it? It's on the east coast of Africa. Excellent. Top of the class. Where is it? It's an island off the east coast, southeast coast of Africa. Kids know that because of the movie Madagascar. So, I'm just saying, it's not in the newspapers. You don't see it every day. No one talks about it. It's not United Nations. They don't bring it up. Israel, 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 Israel. Every day, Israel, Israel. All they talk about Israel. In the French election today, the whole discussion about Israel. Israel. Why Israel? Israel is smaller than any other country in the world. Why? So Israel, Hashem says, it's not because you're the biggest of nations, you're because it's smallest. I chose you because you're the smallest of all nations. Because I'm going to show my power through the smallest of nations, not through the biggest nations. Hashem's power can only be seen through small things. Otherwise, people say, oh, it's, America's big. Well, Hashem doesn't, he doesn't, they don't need Hashem's help. But Israel, how can Israel still exist? It's a miracle. With the, the, the lamb surrounded by the lions. The lions are around us. The wolves are around us. And we're surviving. It's a miracle. It's a really a big miracle. Massive miracle. We, just, we don't understand it. Such a big miracle. Anyway. And the secret is if we treat each other well. If we treat each other well, we are invincible. Invincible. We talked about it uh, with Ahab. Ahab, this king, this evil king, Ahab. And in his days, he won every single war he fought. He won every single war more than King David did. Why? Because his nation never spoke bad about each other. They didn't speak Lashon Hara about each other. So it's so important not to speak bad things about each other. Why? Because if we're the children of God, which father likes his children talking bad about each other? Daddy says, I mean, you're, my, you're my children. You can't talk bad about each other. You're brothers. So that's the that's the issue of Lashon Hara. It's the problem of speaking bad about people. Is because we have to realize we're all we're all relatives. So let's see what the Rambam says. So Rambam asks the question on the Rambam. Rambam says you have to love your friend like yourself. But the Rambam says, listen, Rabbi Kiva, whose general rule was love your friend as yourself. He says when you have a glass of water, your bottle of water, and you're in the desert, and if you, and if you don't give your friend the water, he's going to die. Who gets the water? You get the water. So we see, you don't have to love your friend as yourself. That's Rambad's question. Rabbi Kiva would agree. Who also says, this is a very general rule in the Torah, would agree that your life comes first. So what does it mean? What does loving your friend as yourself mean? According to Ramban, desiring good for them just like you does desire good for yourself. 
You don't have to give everybody everything you have. You don't have to go overboard for your friend. It's the thoughts inside that count. It's a good heart. What's a good heart? Think good things. I want to be smart. I want my friend to be smart. I want to have wealth. I want my friend to have wealth. In other words, don't be mean even in your thoughts. It's very hard. Imagine. Don't be mean even in your thoughts. I have a nice house. I want my friend to have a nice house. Most people want to be the top. I want to be the top. I don't want everyone to be as good as me. Rabban says this, what difference does it make? Just think good. Think good about your friend. You want this to happen to you? Have good thoughts to your friend as well. Amazing, amazing concept. It's also a very high level. It's not easy to have good thoughts about your friend as well. Most people say jealousy. You know? That's where jealousy comes in. I don't want him to be as good as me. I don't want him to have as much as me. I don't want him to have a nicer house than me. No, Ramban says, have good thoughts about him just like you have good thoughts about yourself. Beautiful, beautiful. Isn't it amazing? For sometimes a, a person will love his neighbor in certain matters, such as doing good to him in material wealth, but not as wisdom in similar matters. I don't, I don't mind giving him money, but I, I don't want him to be as smart as me. But if he loves him completely, he'll want his beloved friend to gain riches, property, honor, knowledge, wisdom. However, because of human nature, he will still not want him to be his equal. Because the person always wants to have more than his friend. Therefore, the Torah says... This degrading jealousy should not exist in the person's heart. This mitzvah is more duty. There's a book called Duties of the Heart, Chobat Levavot. The obligations inside the person, people don't really realize. People always think about the mitzvah is to do. What are the mitzvah to think? How we think. There's a mitzvah to how we think. According to Ramban, the mitzvah of after Rechamah is more a mitzvah of how you think. Thinking good things about your friend. Internally, yes. Who is your friend? Because we know a lot of people. All Jews are your friends. friends. All Jews are your friends. So friendship, it, it's not about a personal relationship. No. It's about no, exactly, category. Exactly, exactly, exactly. So we're all friends. We're all brothers. We're all sisters. We're all related. We're all related. You know, when I was in Vancouver, a guy calls me up and says, tell me, he says, how come Jews help each other? I don't know. It's a, it's a very good question, you know? So you, you send money to the Federation. The Federation sends the money to Russia to send the Jew from Russia to Israel. <laughs> how, does, how does this work? What's going on over here? So I don't even know the guy. And I'm putting money in the thing, and it's going to help someone thousands of miles away to move somewhere else, and we're, we're helping him. It's amazing. It's a miracle. How do you do these things? It's amazing. But you know what? It's not just Jews anymore. Thank God. It's, the world is catching on. Because the answer is we have to realize we're relatives. How do we realize we're relatives physically? And the answer is we're all descendants of Adam. So are we friends with all humanity? Yes. But there's priorities in friendship. But there's priorities exactly. for Jewish people. Exactly. I mean, we obviously have your relatives come first. <laughs> Even though we're all friends, right? But if you have a choice to support the laws of charity, the Shukhan is down, right? Who gets priority? So first comes, uh, the Shukran says your children come first, and then your parents. The Ramah says your, your parents come first, then your children. <coughs> Who comes first, your parents or your children? Interesting question, right? So the Shukran says amazing concept. He says, your children didn't ask to be brought into the world. You brought them into the world, you're responsible. Amazing, right? The, Shur- the Ramah says, but you would have So you have to give your parents first. It's an interesting concept, <laughs> interesting discussion. But that's uh, obviously par- children come, uh, the, the relatives come first. How do we know? Because Isaiah the prophet says, "Mibsarcha altitalem." Don't hide from your own flesh and blood. Don't hide yourself from your own flesh and blood. And that means we have to give our relatives first. Relatives always come first. So you have different people to help. Uh, your brother's daughter's getting married, and he asks you, "Can you help me with the wedding?" 
Of course. I mean, you come in my stucca now, my brother's family has to come, you know, the relatives come first. When it comes to charity, so instead of giving to this organization, my brother's there, he needs to, uh, so help him first. Come on. It's good. So, but the Ramban says it's more duty of the heart, thinking good about people, wishing good for their people. And he brings a proof from Jonathan's love of David. King, you know, we're all famous. David and Jonathan. Right? King David. And he wasn't even king yet. He was, he is, the king was King Saul. Shaul Abmelech was the first king of Israel. Big, righteous person who made a few mistakes. And he lost it. Lost his kingship. But he's still king. His oldest son is Jonathan. Who is a big, big tzaddik. Very, he's one of my heroes. Jonathan is one of my heroes. Why? Because of this. Because he removed jealousy from his heart completely. He had no jealousy on David, even though he was a great, he was a, he was a warrior. Jonathan was a mighty warrior. He was a great man in his own right. And he was next to be king. And he heard the prophecy is David is going to be the next king. He says, David, he says, I'm not jealous of you. I'll work for you. I'll be your right hand man. Isn't it amazing? How did he do that? He did. So uh, that's his proof, he says. It says he loved him as he loved his own soul because Yonatan had removed this attribute of jealousy from his heart. So that's, that's loving someone. According to Ramban, ra- loving someone is to remove jealousy, which is so hard to do. To, to, give, to wish everyone well, just like you wish every, yourself well. When you say, I hope you have a great life, just like I want for myself, I want you to have the same thing. If I want you to have a better one than me. That's what we said our children. I want you to be better than me. It says, uh, the Talmud says, uh, there's only two people you're not, you're not jealous of. Your children and your students. Because you want them to be better than you, because that's your investment. You're investing in them for the purpose that they should be better than you. So this is a beautiful concept. This is how to be happy. How do you be happy? When you are treating other people well, you're going to be happy. When you are helping your friends, then you're happy. And that's what the Torah says. Don't take vengeance. The rabbis already explained. The matters of taking vengeance and guarding a grudge. They apply to cases where there is no monetary obligation. So in other words, lend me your uh, hammer. The guy says, no. The next day he comes to you and he says, lend me your lawnmower. So what do you do? So you have two options. Or actually three. The first option is, no. I'm not going to lend you a thing. You're mean. I'm, I'm going to treat you the same way. You didn't lend me your hammer. I'm not going to lend you my lawnmower. The second level is, that's also vengeance. Here's my lawnmower, I'm not like you. That's also forbidden. The highest level is, here's the lawnmower. Don't say a word about yesterday, don't say a word about the hammer. Who can get to this level? It's a very high level, that's what the Torah is telling us. Be on a higher level, don't let jealousy and grudges get into your heart. Protect your heart, because your heart is you. If your heart gets dirty, Hashem says, I don't like it. You have to purify it. You have to purify that heart of ours. It's so hard to purify the heart. Yes? You're reminding me that I used to mow my lawn when I was young, and um, occasionally it would break down in the middle, and I would go across the street to the neighbor, and I'd say, you know, I'm so sorry to, like, bother you, but would you mind? And she'd say, look, maybe HaKadosh Baruch was going to make it last longer because I'm letting you use it. Like very nice. turned it into, like, a positive. Very nice, very nice. You know. I still learn that my lawnmower would break down in front, and I take the rag and the screwdriver from my pocket, 
I fix it. And the other Jewish women who saw me mowing the lawn on Sundays said, you shouldn't do that. And my husband won't let me get the lawn surface. That's right. Okay. So that's it. We have to, whatever. So that's it. It's very hard to not to bear a grudge. It's so hard not to bear a grudge. It was my moment of peace. I was going to lose it. So. Rabbi, what happens when you when you have a relative or a friend who, let's say, always borrowing things and never <laughs> If they don't return, you don't have to, there's no obligation to give. There's no obligation to give if someone is not going to return. I'm talking about a case where you know he's going to give it back, he's honest, and he's going to come back in the same condition. Obviously, if he's going to damage it, you have no obligation to give it. There's no obligation to give away your stuff and lose all your stuff. So, obviously, we're talking about a case where the, uh, the person is reliable, and he's uh, decent and reliable. But the only problem is, he won't lend you his stuff. He's mean, but he's reliable. <laughs> he's a reliable, mean person. <laughs> but what you have to do is you have to judge him. Maybe there's something, or he has some kind of reason. There's a beautiful Gemara. The Gemara says, it's a true story, that uh, this person worked as a servant for three years. In those days, you worked for, as a servant. You lived, you lived in the house. You were supported by them. And at the end of the three years, he would have to pay you three years' worth of salary. And at the end of the three years, the guy is leaving. He said, I'm leaving. Give me my salary. So I'm sorry. He said, I don't have anything to give you. And he knows he's a rich man. He says, you don't have money, but give me crops. Give me food. He says, no, I don't have anything to give you. So give me animals. He said, I don't have anything to give you. Give me land. I don't have anything to give you. So he goes away. Can you imagine? He goes home broken. He worked for three years. His wife and children are waiting for him to see money. Nothing. He goes home and nothing. Empty-handed. Three days later, the employer comes with bags full of stuff. And he gives him food and things. So he says to him, he says, tell me, he says, when I told you I didn't have any money, what did you think? He said, I, th- I thought you gave away all your money to star- charity. And I tell you, when I told you I never had any animals, I said, what do you think? He said, I'm, you gave all your animals to the temple. He said, when, you, when I told you I never had any land, what do you think? He said, you made all your lands hectic. Also, you sanctified all your land. So he says, you know, whatever you said really happened. And Hashem should bless you just like you judge me favorably. Hashem should judge you favorably. And that's a, really, that's a very high level, to judge other people favorably because you're always thinking, that so-and-so, you know, he tricked me, and that so-and-so tricked me, and this one ripped me off, and this one does it. But we never judge. It's very hard to judge people favorably. It's so hard. And that's really the test. That's a big test. It's so hard to pass this test. But that's the test of a good heart. And today you've got to be smart as well. You can't just be uh, naive. Person who's naive is going to be taken advantage of. Mm-hmm. I'm saying if there is a way possible to give a person benefit of the doubt, you should. If it's an honorable person, we're talking about. We're not talking about a con man, con artist. We're not talking about that. So a person's not allowed to be naive. We're not allowed to give away our money without even knowing. I mean, people today, there's so many scams. I know this guy in town who lost seven thousand dollars. It's a scam. The, the guy he gets, he sees a notice on his computer. Your computer has a virus. Call so and so. And he called us so-and-so. And the so-and-so <laughs> said, okay, I'm going to fix your computer for you. And he took all his information and, and disaster. $7,000. He's going around asking for charity. He can't support himself. $7,000 is life savings. Disaster. A person got to be wide awake. But uh, if you know someone who's a good person and something happened, obviously, this guy worked for three years and he saw he's a righteous person and he's, he didn't pay him. So he'd say, you know, the guy's righteous, but he's not really righteous. That's what he sh- he'd be saying inside. But he didn't. He said, you know, there must be some reason for this person not to give me the money. And he was right. Okay, but that's the hard part. 
not to bear a grudge. But I thought the Torah says you're not allowed to withhold somebody. Yes, you're right. And, he, and obviously he didn't intend to do it. So something happened, some other... It says what happened is his, his student, his, his, his son did not want to learn Torah. So to get back at his son, to teach his son a lesson, he sanctified all his property. In other words, you're not going to inherit me. <laughs> but the way he did it was in a way that he, he didn't even have money left for his daily expenses. So he had to go to the rabbis afterwards and do annulling the vows. He annulled his vows and then he paid him. But you're right, he should have thought ahead and not done that at that time because he had to pay him uh, his salary. But in it, the, the worker didn't think he did worse of him. He gave him the benefit of the doubt. Amazing. Okay, it just shows how far a person should try and go. If you, you know someone is an honorable person, you have very good relationships with him, and he's always kept his vow, always kept his promise to you, and then all of a sudden one day he lets you down. You've got to think good thoughts. Maybe he's sick, maybe he's this, you know, he didn't come. Normally he does, he keeps his word. So you've got to think positively about the person. Okay, beautiful. So that is uh, this, one of the secrets of happiness is if you treat other people well, you're going to have a clear conscience. You're going to be sleeping well at night. You're going to be able to not bear grudges, and you're going to be able to have a, uh, a pure heart. Very beautiful. Okay, let's move on. I want to move on to um, the first Mishnah in Pirkei uh, Avot, in chapter 4, because that's going to be the reading for next, next Shabbat. And it's a very famous Mishnah, and it's again one of the students of Rabbi Kiva, Ben Zoma. And he talks about who is the rich man. And everyone knows this. Who is a rich man? A rich person. Ezu Ashir. The one who's satisfied with what he has. Happy what you have. So, happy with his portion. So it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful joke. The comedian uh, Sophie Tucker says, I've been poor and I've been rich. Rich is better. <laughs> So um, this, I'm quoting you from a, a, a very interesting article. It happened, uh, appears in How, Harvard Business Review. The Harvard Business Review brings down an article from a psychologist, one of the top psychologists. And this is the article they wrote. I'm just quoting it to you, and then we're going to discuss it. So he says, there is merit to Tucker's argument. Being rich is better. <laughs> all, all else being equal, more money is better. Why? Because, as professors Elizabeth Dunn and Michael Norton point out in their very useful book, Happy Money, money provides access to things, products, experiences, services that improve happiness levels. That's the reason why. Why is money important? Because it, has, it provides access to things that can make you happy. In other words, money is just a tool that can provide you with access. You know, without money, medical and other things, you wouldn't have it. And yet, there's also research... The wealthier people are not happier. So we have a we have a problem over here. Go ahead. I read this very interesting research review that literally showed that up to a certain level, like below that level, money influenced your happiness. Right. But past a certain level, excellent, had excellent, no influence excellent. whatsoever. It's very interesting. It does affect the ego, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. That's one of the problems. We're going to come to that. Okay. So there's a stream of research that shows wealthy people are not happier. Okay, so now we're going through the reasons. Why is wealth not make a person happier? Look at this. One reason is, wealth seems to make a person less generous. Hear that? <laughs> wealth seems to make a person less generous. Both in dollar terms and in behavioral respects. Consider results from series of studies. From the University of Berkeley. In one study, look at this, just look at this study, using Monopoly. 
They gave, made a game of Monopoly. And in the game of Monopoly, they rigged it to a point where they made one person very wealthy in Monopoly. It's, only, it's a make-believe game. But now he's playing the game and he is... He's getting, building these hotels, and every time he lands on his hotel, you ever had that experience? He lands at the hotel, you got to pay him rent. Tremendous rent. And he's happy, and he's enjoying. The researchers observed through a one-way mirror. By the way, you've got to watch out these one-way mirrors. You've got to watch them. The participants' behaviors. It turned out the wealthier the participant grew, the meaner he or she became. For example, the wealthier participants started to assume more dominant postures. Began talking down to the poorer. It's <laughs> only a game. They also consumed a greater share of a bowl of pretzels, <laughs> meant to be shared equally. They eat more. They get, take more. And they had paper money. That's paper money. It's worthless, but it's a psychology. The psychology of wealth. Results from another study showed similar effects. When given ten dollars and told that they could contribute to any or all of it to another participant, the richer participants contribute an average 44% less than everyone else. What's the name of this article? It's the Harvard Business Review. But the, uh, the specific I'm going to give it to you. It's the author over here is a professor, Raj Raghunathan, PhD, professor at University of Texas, McCombs School of Business, and author of If You're So Smart, Why Aren't You Happy? If you are so smart, why aren't you happy? Amazing. So he's talking to professors. He's talking to br- brilliant people. Uh, very interesting. So I just want to tell you what he's... This is, has important implications for personal happiness. Results from a massive study of 200,000 respondents revealed that being generous had a positive effect on one's happiness in a whopping 93% of countries. Was the more generous you are, the more happier you are. Why? It's so wild. It's like a different mindset. The mindset of give of a giver is the mindset of happiness. The mindset of a taker is the mindset of mean miserableness. It's amazing. It's the givers who are happier. Notre Dame researchers looked at generosity indicators such as giving money, volunteering or even being emotionally available to friends, and they found the more generous people were, the happier they were. So the more time you give to friends, the more you volunteer, the more you give, you feel happier. Amazing. Researchers also theorized. Oh, well, this is what the Torah is saying all the time. And here we have the research now to back it up. It's amazing. We don't need the research. It's just good. People like, like to hear this. It reinforces them. Research have theorized wealth makes us less generous because it makes us more isolated. Because he's wealthy now, he feels isolated. He can't relate to people around him. He's scared of people around him. They're jealous of him. They want this. They want that. So he gets more isolated. Amazing. Wealthy people want to be around wealthy people. It's amazing. They try and hide. They write and run away. That's why they all go to the Bahamas and the yachts and the aircraft and they go somewhere. Gated communities. Why? Because they're scared of being around people. He's always asking them for things. Wealth is isolating for psychological and physical reasons. Psychologically, the acquisition of wealth. And more generally, possession of single high status makes us want to distance ourselves from others. This may be due to a feeling of competition and selfishness. It may also be due simply because we don't need other people to survive the way we did when we were poorer. We don't need their friendship anymore because we don't need them anymore. So I can be by myself now, independent. As we grow wealthier, we value independence more and social connectedness. 
And therefore, the less social we are, the less happy we are. We don't really realize there's a connection between social f- friendships and happiness. Tremendous. It says in Israel, people, the men live longer than anywhere else. Like, I think they were 14th, America's 18th in uh, life expectancy. Something like that. 17th. 17th, okay. Uh, so, Israel, come on, the men in Israel live longer with all the wars, with all the trouble, with all the smoking. They still live longer. <laughs> it's amazing. It's a miracle. <laughs> Why? And the answer is because they're social frameworks. Come on, you live in an apartment building. You think you're... In, those, in Israel, it's like everyone in the apartment building knows everyone else's affairs. It's scary. <laughs> Unless you live in a very big apartment building and they don't know each other. But at least the people on the floor, they know everything about everyone else. It's like one big family. You need a cup of sugar, you need this, you need that. It's uh, nice. My, my, my son moved to Manhattan and, he, and there's one... It's very easy. You just see where the mezuzah is. That's it. So there's a guy, one mezuzah across, the, across his, uh, lobby, his, his hallway and there's an elderly gentleman who says, listen, anytime you need a cup of tea or anything, you just come knock on my door. <laughs> That's nice. Sweet, right? So there you go. That's right after Rech Mocha. But it's there, but then you have uh, the framework, you have the social framework, and it gives happiness, it causes happiness. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this is the professor himself talking. I discovered the physical distancing effect of wealth for myself. When I transitioned from being a poor PhD student to a relatively better off professor. As a student, I live in a apartment with three other housemates. We shared several common areas, the living room, kitchen, and bathroom. As a professor, I moved into a two-bedroom apartment that I had all to myself. One would think that living in a bigger house would have made me happier. And it did, but only for a few weeks. <laughs> it's hard, because then you're on your own. You're on your own. You're, on your own. you're lonely. And you're loneliness. I crave company so badly, I would invite myself over to my friends' houses. Amazing. So... Person thinks, you know what, the more I have, the happier I'm going to be. You know what, it's true up to a point, as you mentioned. But beyond that, okay, we have to move, we'll go more into this uh, next week, Bez Radishem. And uh, next week is Bigger Friend Day. Everyone. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.